Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on KHSidePress.com. I'm Danny Gooby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC heads back to the apex this weekend for UFC Vegas 78, headlined by Rafael Dos Anjos versus Vicente Luque. We'll, of course, be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on this main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. We'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, as always, we're giving you the interviews you know and love. Kicking off the show this week, we are talking to contender series hopeful Chandler Cole about his time on The Ultimate Fighter and his upcoming opportunity. And then a little bit later on in the show, we'll be talking to Isaac Dolgarian, who is fighting this weekend at UFC Vegas 78. Now, before we get to any of that great content for you, I do have to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Game Up Heart Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Heart Hydration, the new ready-to-drink beverage with sports drink flavor and adult drink fun. Make no mistake, this is no sports drink. It's a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, a special blend of electrolytes, and way more than a hint of flavor. It's a drink that's, well, hey, it's really drinkable. Should you stretch before you drink it? Certainly couldn't hurt. Because Game Up is not a hard seltzer. Hard seltzers just don't work out. Game Up plays entirely in a league of its own. It comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit, punch, and grape. It hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, one gram of carbs. It's gluten-free, and it's got no added sugar. Game Up is for MMA maulers, urban fitness freaks, peak bagging badasses, tough mother mothers, beer league brawlers, hot yoga hotties, high handicap hackers, committed cornhole huckers, or even just professional poolside posers who game up and get after it. Ask for Game Up wherever it is you buy beer or hard seltzer and bring it home for the team. Game Up brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Chandler Cole, who fights Thomas Peterson at Dana White's Contender Series Week 4. That fight is on August 29th. So, Chandler, I actually wanted to start by talking about your time in the Ultimate Fighter. You know, the fight you had there, you nearly finished Jordan Heiderman, who's, you know, now in the PFL semifinals. He might be on his way to making a million bucks. You came up a little bit short. You didn't wind up getting a contract offer. How difficult was it for you to deal with, you know, sort of going back to the regional scene after being so close to the show? I mean, uh, it definitely did mess with me mentally. You know, I felt like, you know, I was right there and I put on a good show. Uh, especially, I thought the storyline kind of, you know, would would help me get on the big show. Uh, you know, dislocating my arm, you know, day one. Uh, completely tearing my UCL. Still still putting on the fight of the season. Uh, I thought that that would help me. But uh, we all got emails uh, from the USC saying, you know, Best of luck, you know. We hope that you, uh, we wish y'all the, you know, the best in your in the future of your career and stuff like that. So, when I got that, I was kind of bummed. And uh, you know, having a fight back locally, you know, I love my fans. I love the love that I get back home. But uh, I haven't really made it if it's easy to come watch me fight. If that makes sense, you know. I, I heard another fighter say that one time, and I, it kind of just you know rang a bell with me. And uh, we you know it's a lot harder to travel from Virginia to Vegas. And that's kind of where I want to be, like, in my career is where, you know, people have to 
me and you know group up together to watch me fight and it and it'd be something special uh so it was hard uh kind of just to go back to the regional scene and it was hard to get motivated man you know this you know the discipline kept me in the gym the discipline kept me training because i knew that a call could happen at any time but you know when i you know when i'd go out and fight on the regional scene it was uh it was hard man it was hard just because i know where i belong absolutely and and i'm curious too you know a lot of people have said that they have trouble finding fights that, you know, get them back to the level that they want to be at, to get the UFC to notice, you know, because you don't find these guys with high records or hot prospects who want to fight a guy who was on the Ultimate Fighter. Did you find it harder to find fights once you came off the Ultimate Fighter? Man, uh, yeah, but my goal was just to stay active. You know, uh, I knew that a lot of people wouldn't want to fight me. Uh, and actually, my last fight uh, was such a an emotional roller coaster anyways, uh, bouncing from opponent to opponent and then, you know, having one of my good friends pass away a week before the fight. And uh yeah, they it it was a it was a mess trying to find opponents. But uh basically I got down to the point to where I was like, look, I don't care if I gotta fight the high school janitor, you know, <laughs> I keep sign them up sign them up. I'm just trying to fight. Uh so if people look at my record, they're going to see like a lot of, you know, uh, there are a lot of duds on there, man. But it's that when you sell, you know, 150 tickets on a regional scene and then you have someone back out, you know, you're trying just to fight, man. You're trying just to, to uh, make things happen, not only for you, but for the people. So uh, a running joke that I have is I call myself the people's champ. Mm-hmm. And it's because no matter what happens, you know, I'm going I'm to step in there. You know, whether it's four days notice versus Ante D'Elia, or if it's, you know, me training two months and then last minute change against the uh, the uh, New Orleans Saints water boy, you know, I'm, I'm showing up. <laughs> I love that. Now, you know, I also noticed on your record, Tapology has you listed as having taken a kickboxing match, too, in there. Was was that part of just trying to be active, or was that something you were trying to do with your skill set, try to, you know, maybe test your kickboxing skills a little bit? Man, I was just bored. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I was just bored. Uh, I just, I love fighting, man, and I just, uh, you know, we bounced about around some ideas, and uh, like I said, it was hard to find anyone to fight me, and uh, we'd had a guy that said that he would fight me, but it would be a, a couple months from then, and I said, nah, I mean, nah, that, I, I gotta fight, you know, so we're not gonna just wait it out, just because he don't want to fight right now, because he would have been a good one to fight, and uh I said, shoot, man, if we got to do kickboxing, you know, let me know. And they called me back, and they was like, yeah, man, we may have some people that, you know. Once we said kickboxing, you know, people come out the woodwork. And uh, the week of the fight, man, he got a last-minute replacement. And uh, <laughs> my opponent that I was going to fight, you know, uh, he's the only one that picked up at the time was a, a guy that would have been, a, a, you know, I think I would have murdered him. But then the replacement was not someone that I thought I would murder them. So it was definitely a, dev, a mental test for me, you know, preparing myself for a kickboxing match in the week of, preparing myself for, you know, a very tough kickboxing match. And uh, I ended up finishing it with leg kicks. And, uh, you know, I couldn't walk for three weeks, but <laughs> it was definitely it was definitely a good uh, little experience. Well, that's great. Now, I'm curious, too. You know, you've obviously done, you know, dozens of MMA camps at this point and, you know, been in the gym forever working on those sets of skills and blending everything together. What was it like prepping for kickboxing? How was it different than getting ready for MMA? Yo, 
Honestly, I just kept practicing MMA. <laughs> I just, I just, and nothing changed, man. Because I knew I'm, I, I honestly told myself, I said, man, I, I, of course, I'm a sore loser, so I can't lose. I cannot lose. However, what if I got a big call after this, and I'm, and I'm, you know, not training the stuff I really need to work on. So I just trusted my skills. You know, I've been doing this for uh, on August third. That made ten years that I've been in the game. So. Uh, when you've been in it that long, it's kind of just like, you know, second nature. You know, it's something that you've done for so long. So I just made sure my cardio was good. That's the only thing is when we were doing rounds, I'd be like, hey, you know, get some kickboxing rounds in, and we'd go, uh, you know, those three minutes, but we'd do like 10 three-minute rounds in practice. So I made sure that I was definitely in shape. I like that. Now, I'm curious, too, because you just said in there, you know, you've been in the game for 10 years. You go back to your amateur debut. You were just about 18 years old. I know you come from a wrestling background. Was was the way that you got into MMA kind of just, you know, I need something to do now that I'm not wrestling anymore and, and you know, throwing hands a little bit on top of that wrestling was the easiest thing to tack on? Man, my coaches could have killed me, too. Uh <laughs> I got a phone call uh, from the from another wrestling coach. Uh, he'd been keeping up with me. He knew that I was going to go to college and wrestle. And uh, he, this guy goes, hey, man, you want to fight? And I said, when's the fight? And they said, in two weeks. I said, sign me up. So I'd already been practicing with the MMA team, just, you know, wrestling, being like a wrestling partner for them. And uh, they came in to work out, and I was on the mat, you know, re- you know doing my shadow wrestling. I said, guys, guess what? And they said, what? I said, dude, I took a fight. And they said, why? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, because, you know, it's, it's good. He's 0-0. He said, so you're telling me you took a fight on two weeks' notice? And you took a fight against someone we can't even watch film on? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I totally it's good, dude. I swear it's okay. I promise. <laughs> and uh, luckily I went out there and I finished it in the first round. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, ever since then I've just never looked back. I was like, you know what? I like that. I like the, uh, you know, wrestling's one of the sports that don't get a lot of attention. And uh, a lot of, uh, you know, I didn't have, like, a big fan base coming to watch me wrestle. But when I had that fan base come watch me fight, when I changed it to MMA, and I, I fell in love with the, the holy cow, like, this is different. This is a different type of attraction. This is a different type of uh, uh, spotlight. And uh, I just... I told myself, I was like, man, if this is what a regional fight at Appalachia High School feels like, mm-hmm. like imagine if you fought at MGM Grand or, or wherever, you know, you know, now it's T-Mobile. But back when I was then, it was MGM. And I was like, imagine if you fought at MGM and you was the main event with all those lights and all those people. And I was like, dude, I got to keep fighting. I love that. Now, the next place you're fighting is, is actually not going to have too many people there. It's not going to have too bright a light. You're fighting in the Apex. You get the call to be on Contender Series. You know, you just shared with us all about how it felt like going back to the regional scene and the struggles of all of that. So so tell us a little bit about what it felt like when you did get that call from your manager or your coach or whoever told you that you're going to be on Contender Series. Uh, I had uh, voiced my opinion and said that I definitely wanted to fight on the contender series this season because I, it felt like that was the only way I was going to get back uh, into the you know to that chance to get in the UFC. Uh, but you know, you made the comment about uh, fighting at the Apex. I've already fought at the Apex. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the only difference is I guarantee there's going to be more fans here than there was then. 
because there was nobody. And it was awkward at first because, you know, when you walk through the doors, you know, you want to be pumped. But then it's like, oh, dang, like, yeah, stay serious, Chandler, stay serious. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, then I got to uh, – uh, but, no, I, I went back to the Apex a couple years ago, uh, a couple weeks ago and got to do a photo shoot and stuff. And uh, <clears throat> when I stepped in the cage, I was like, dang, I was like, it's crazy because, you know, a lot of people – especially like those guys that was with me uh, getting, you know, all their interviews and stuff out of the way, they had never been in a cage. And they were like, man, this is crazy. This is crazy. And I was sitting there thinking like, I've done this. So, uh, I don't know. It was a great feeling to know that I'd been there and that it was kind of like uh, some some known territory. And uh, that, you know, for Thomas, you know, he's not going to – he's never been in that cage. I don't know if he's ever fought in a, you know, uh, almost empty building. But for me, I've I've done the bare minimum. Even on PFL, like there was nobody in that arena. Like it was weird. They had like voiced in sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> they had they had piped in sound for. Was it for you? Was it for the broadcast? What 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 was the the sound effects? I mean, I guess maybe you don't know their intentions. But what was it like? Oh, are you talking about for PFL? Yeah, yeah, that that's interesting. Oh, it was weird. <laughs> well, see what happened was is I walked out, and when I walked out, I heard a bunch of cheering. And I was like, what? Like, oh, there must be people here. And I'd seen off in the distance, like, some people, like, in some suits and ties and stuff and, like, sitting on couches. But I didn't think nothing of it. So I'm, uh, so I walk out, and I'm just uh, getting ready. I'm pacing back and forth. And then anytime anything happened, we would hear cheering. And I'm like, what in the world is this? And... Then after my fight, I, you know, I went out, I got all my stuff, uh, and I came back out and was just watching some of the fights. And I heard it, and I said, oh, my God. Like, I thought this whole time <laughs> that it was these people over here, these, you know, because they're like a section. I, to, to me, it felt like a bunch of millionaires. I mean, it must have been the sponsors because they were all dressed up. It was like a cocktail lounge. The fighters weren't allowed over there. Uh but, yeah, you know, I was looking over there watching that, and I was like, dang, you know, like, this is crazy. Like, <laughs> it was just crazy just to sit and watch and think, like, who is the DJ hitting the clap button? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a weird move. Now, I, I, let's go back to talking about your fight on Contender Series, because you mentioned Thomas Peterson. He's going to be entering a place that he's not familiar with. You've got the familiarity. But also, I mean, obviously, we got to talk about the style matchup. He's a guy who, you know, if you've watched some of his regional fights – he looks like he fancies himself a rest like a wrestler. You know, he's got a lot of ground and pound finishes. He's got a few takedowns in there here or there. And, and with your extensive wrestling background, I assume that means, you know, kind of a weird style matchup for you. You don't usually fight guys who are trying to do similar things to you. What do you think about the matchup with Thomas Peterson stylistically? I'm, ex- I'm excited. Uh, this is the first wrestler. So a lot of people don't know this. Uh, he was actually a junior college national champion uh, in wrestling. And uh, I had to do some digging to figure that out. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I just uh, – it is exciting. It's exciting because I'm going to get to show a skill set that no one else – that no one has seen on me. You know, no one has got to see my takedown defense, you know, with wrestling because no one ever tries shooting on me. So I believe he's going to shoot on me. And uh, I don't know. I, I, and then I get to showcase my wrestling. So uh, – and my stand-up and just my growth in MMA. Uh, I was a when in the very beginning of this, you know, career. I was a wrestler, but I would like to call myself a, a mixed martial artist now. Uh, I think that I'm very well-rounded, 
And when you put it all together, that's when I shine. So uh, I'm just excited to step in there with Thomas. You know, Thomas is a former uh, LFA uh, champion. Uh, I hate LFA, honestly. So <laughs> it makes it even better. So all right, I get so, to yeah, go do ahead. my thing. Yes. I get to do my thing. Do my thing against one of their former champions. So that's, a, that's where I get mine off on. All right. Well, then, you know, I usually like to end these things with a prediction. You're getting a chance to maybe take the the artificial LFA title off of Thomas Peterson. So how does it end come uh, August 29th? If I take the artificial LFA championship off of his waist, I'm going to take it and I'm going to punt it across the apex. <laughs> I promise you that, man. When I when it comes to the they, – they've rubbed me the wrong way, so I definitely am very vocal about that. Uh, but, uh, man, I uh, don't want to sound cocky, but um, I think in the later rounds I'll, I'll shine, and uh, I think my pace is going to be uh, super impressive. So uh, I'm going to say third-round finish, third-round finish. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Ben Chandler Cole, who fights Thomas Peterson at Dana White's Contender Series Week 4. Once again, that fight is August 29th. Chandler, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, no problem, buddy. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Chandler Cole. I once again have Daniel Gumby for you. Join now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, I got to start here. This past weekend, the UFC had, you know, an interesting main event. Corey Sanhagen took down Rob Font 700 times. But the fight I was actually really interested in was the co-main event of UFC Nashville. Tatiana Suarez not only beats Jessica Andrade, but she absolutely manhandles her, submits her with a guillotine choke. My question for you now, back down at straw weight, is Tatiana Suarez like the front runner to beat Wei Li Zhang? I mean, I know she's got the fight with Amanda Lemos, but is she the most likely to beat Wei Li Zhang at this point? Uh, yes, 100%. I worry about the striking against Wei Li, but other than that, I think she would woman handle Wei Li much the same way that she's woman handled everyone else. She's the female Khabib. We said it when she was coming up. We've bought stock in her from her very first fight. There was the big injury that, you know, curtailed her career for a year or two, uh, actually more than two, but, uh, she's back. And she is a future champion. I could see it in 115. I could see it in 125. The Whaley matchup is very interesting just because of what Whaley presents standing up. But other than that, I will be picking Tatiana Suarez. And I pick her against Whaley too, but I will pick her against everyone wholeheartedly. What do you think? I I agree with you entirely. The only other thing I will give Whaley in her checkbox is when I'm running through the different things she might have an advantage of is, like you said, the wrestling, unquestionably Tatiana, the jiu-jitsu Tatiana, the ground and pound Tatiana. You worry a little bit about what happens on the feet. I'll also say I worry a little bit of what happens with Whaley Zhang's pure strength. Because she's so freaking strong, right? And and that's posed a, a lot of problems for a lot of different women, right? When you consider the only two losses that Wei Li has in the UFC, they're both to Rose Nama Yunus, who just like striked with her from distance, uh, which is so we've just like never seen her taken down and dominated because she is so strong, right? Carla had no chance of that. And obviously, Tatiana, completely different animal. She's far better wrestler than than Carla Esparza. In fact, she's even proven that on occasion. So I, I think she has a chance to do all that. But also, like, if if that fight started and all of a sudden Whaley was just, like, too strong and had too good a takedown defense, I'd have been like, oh, that's something maybe 
Uh, I didn't expect, I wouldn't necessarily expect Tatiana to struggle taking her down, but if it happened, I wouldn't be like, that's the most shocking thing I've ever seen because she is, you know, she's good in so many facets and she is so physically imposing. A hundred percent. I'll tell you who else is good in so many facets. It's us at picking fights. So let's get to our favorite segment on the show. Fights, dogs, parlays for UFC Vegas 79. Not the best card of all time, but we'll (laughs) pick out some good out of it. Uh, Let's get into it, Gumby. But before we do, let's actually uh, ask the question if anyone sponsors this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Absolutely. Fight Talking Partlays is brought to you by Cutback. Hey guys, I bet you you have the same problem as we do, which is it's a hard time keeping up with all of the bets you've made against your friends. Who's paid? Who hasn't? What were the terms? Well, we came across this great new app called Cut that formalizes the whole process so that you don't have to check the notes on your phone or scroll endlessly through your group chat to find out who owes who what. It's essentially a better version of Venmo, but for betting with interactive features that make it more social, attracts all your bets, allows you to create your own lines and see your records against your friends. And perhaps most importantly, it ensures that you get paid when you win. Go check them up at cut.com or on Instagram at cutbet. That's K-U-T-T, and make sure to use promo code TURTLE, T-U-R-T-L-E. They'll give you five free bucks when you deposit in there. Um, And again, maybe probably my favorite thing in there is that you get to bet with the people that you know best. You don't have to bet against some blind bookie giving you, you know, a big old vig. Instead, even lines, betting with your friends. What could be better than that? I love it. All right. Uh, Let's get to the main event. We'll start there as we're known to do. And you have Rafael Dos Anjos, a minus 120 favorite against Vicente Luke, who's just betting off at a plus 100. RDA has been doing the damn thing since UFC 91 back in November of 2008. Okay, he predates UFC 100, and here he is in a main event and favored, coming off a win over Brian Barberina via submission neck crank. Uh, he had lost to Rafael Fiziev before that, no real shame in that, uh, and he had beaten Hanato Moicano and Paul Felder before that. So he is 3-1 and one in his last four. Um, and, you know, going against a guy in Vicente Luke, uh, the New Jersey product, uh, fighting out of New Jersey, is on a two-fight losing streak, which is not good because a third fight could spell disaster for his career in the UFC. Losses to Belial Muhammad and Jeff Neal. Uh, coming off the Jeff Neal loss, that was a KO. But before that, he had reeled off four wins in a row with notable names such as Nico Price, Randy Brown, Tyron Woodley, and Michael Chiesa via Darce Joke. So he's four and two in his last six, but on the two-fight losing streak and betting off at a plus 100 here, who you got? I'm going to go with the underdog Vicente Luque in this fight. And part of it is that I just believe he's like a more impactful striker. I think he can nullify enough of the wrestling game that our DA brings. Um, and, and I think he has the opportunity to probably finish our DA here. And then the other big thing for me, too, is just like, I don't love Rafael Dos Anjos at welterweight I, I think his move to welterweight was always really ill-advised um you know like he, he made that switch all the way back in in 2017 he rattled off three straight wins Tarek Safadine Neil Magny Robbie Lawler and at the time everybody was like oh this is the change he definitely needed a- and then he proceeded to lose four out of the next five and, and granted to good competition Covington and Usman and Edwards and Michael Chiesa th- those are all tough losses but his only wins at welterweight since that first initial run are Brian Barberena and Kevin Lee. Uh, and Kevin Lee doesn't really belong at welterweight either. So I think he has trouble with the size of the average welterweight. 
um, the physicality of the average welterweight. And look, Luke is a legit welterweight, and I think that's going to cause some problems. Now, I obviously want to say, you know, just because it's it's out there in the media right now, that Vicente Luque, after being knocked out by Jeff Neal, saying that there was issues with his brain and had to take a year off and all that kind of stuff, it's alarming. It's, of course, alarming. You have to feel bad about that. But if we're just talking about, like, how he's looked, I mean, this is a guy who Doris choked Michael Chiesa. This is a guy who knocked out Randy Brown. This is a guy who just, like, was going out and beating people up. And, and yeah, sure, a loss to Bilal Muhammad and Jeff Neal, the, you could lose to worse guys in this division. So I, I'm going to go with Vicente Luque with the caveat. I am a little bit worried about his durability following uh, all of that nasty stuff that came out in the media about how his head was doing. I'm with you completely. I, too, am, pissing, uh, is, am picking Vicente Luque. And I think it's really the end of the road for RDA here, maybe a couple more fights. And, and then it's just, you know, the age. And like you said, I don't really love him at 170. All right, let's move up. Uh, you have Hakeem Dewadu, who is betting off as a minus 250 favorite. Two Cubs Swanson got another veteran here, but he's a plus 205 dog. Let's talk about Cub first. He's coming off a loss to Jonathan Martinez via TKO. Had uh, beat Darren Elkins and lost to Giga Chikadze before that. Had two nice wins over Chrome Gracie and Daniel Pineda. We're going back all the way to 2019 here. So he's three and two in his last five, dating back to 2019. Um, but if you really want to peel it back even more, he had a four-fight losing streak before that. So really, he's three and six in his last nine. Not great for Cub Swanson. Dewadu's coming off a loss to Julian Arosa. He had beat Michael Trezino before that and lost to Masvar Avalov uh, before that. So he's one and two in his last three. Peel it back even further, though. He was on a very nice five-fight win streak in the UFC from 2018 to 2020. Uh, so you could really say he's six and two in his last eight. But again, in most recent history, dating back to 2021, one and two in his last three. He's the favorite here, though. Who you got? I'm going to go with Hakeem Dawudo. Uh, I think, look, I, I like Cub Swanson, and I think maybe even with this price, you, you could potentially find some value in him. But my big concern for him is just like, if you look back at those wins and losses, he's all of his wins are against guys he's way faster than on the feet, right? Darren Elkins, you know, maybe a powerful striker, maybe a durable guy, but not a fast guy. Uh, Daniel Pineda, you know, known for his wrestling, known for his jujitsu, not known for being a particularly fast and explosive striker. Cron Gracie, don't know if he even knows how to strike, right? So he's beating grapplers by forcing them to strike with him and being way faster. And if you look at the guys who are beating him, Shane Burgos, fast striker. Giga Chikadze, fast striker. Jonathan Martinez, fast striker. He's going to be stepping in with Hakeem Dawido. Fast striker. I think the recipe is there for why Cub Swanson loses this fight. Uh, and I think Hakeem, despite the fact that he looked a little bit shoddy against uh, Julian Arosa, bounces back here and is just like the faster, more technical guy. I like it. Um, Cleo Roundtree is a minus 205 favorite. Chris Dawkins is a plus 170 dog. Uh, Roundtree is coming off of a win. He's actually on a three-fight win streak, but he's coming off a win over Dustin Jacoby. Uh, and he had lost two before that. So if you really want to peel it back far, he is three and two in his last five. Chris Dawkins, who I think at one point um, a lot of people had some hope in, 
is uh, he had debuted, and I'll tell you why, he had debuted in the UFC on a four-fight win streak, and now he's lost three in a row. Coming off a KO loss to Jerzinho Rosenstruck, have lost to Curtis Blades via TKO, have lost to Derek Lewis via KO. So, you know, three people with finishing power, three losses in a row. Uh, He's got to turn the corner here. Who you got? I'm going to go with uh, Khalil Roundtree. I will say I am intrigued about Chris Dawkins coming down to light heavyweight. You know, he was always a wildly undersized heavyweight and got by you know, largely with his speed, right? He was way faster than all those guys you mentioned that he beat in his four fight winning streak to come into the UFC, right? Like he, he opened up by fighting Parker Porter and Rodrigo Nascimento and Alexi Olenek. Those guys are all slow. Um, especially for a guy who only weighs, you know, 135 pounds and has got pretty good boxing. And then he ran into the guys who can hit like heavyweights, the Derek Lewis the Curtis blades, the Jair Zinho Rosenstreich's and like, once he ran into real hitting heavyweights, it's like, oh, it doesn't matter how fast I am. It only takes one of these to go to sleep. Now, the, the thing that interests me about him going down is like, yeah, he's not going to be facing people who hit quite as hard. But you and I both know that like concussions are not like there's not a threshold for a concussion or being knocked out. It's not just like, oh, I got knocked out by Curtis Blades, but I won't get knocked out by anybody who hits less hard. It's now that I've been knocked out by Curtis Blades, I get knocked out by people who hit close to as hard as him or even less hard than him because those things, those things pile up. And the thing is Roundtree hits really fast. The other thing is with Dawkins moving down, I think he eliminates his speed advantage, right? Like he's faster than the average heavyweight. Is he faster than Khalil Roundtree? I don't think so. And I don't even know that he hits harder. So yeah, I like Roundtree in this one. I think he's just going to be faster. I think he's going to possibly touch that chin on Chris Dawkins, which is now coming off three straight knockouts and is, uh, it's certainly never a good thing, and you never want to back a guy coming off three straight knockouts. Agreed. Our underdog of the week is Isaac, Isaac Bulgarian, a plus 130. Let's hear it. Yeah, Isaac Bulgarian, uh, in addition to being on the show earlier, is a, an underdog I really like in this fight because his wrestling is so damn good. And I think people see Francis Marshall, and they're like, oh, you know, he had kind of the explosive hands against Marcelo Rojo, and that's why he's being uh, favorited here. But the thing is, is like, you know, if he can't out-wrestle Dolgarian, we're going to see a similar fight to what happened to Francis Marshall against William Gomi, which is, you know, he just is a little bit slower on the feet. And it, there's a possibility that he winds up on his ass a few times here too. We saw Dolgarian have absolutely explosive power on Dana White's looking for a fight. He turns people's lights off, even in short range and ground situations. So like, look, I, I think he's going to be the more powerful guy here against Francis Marshall. I think he's going to be the faster guy. Uh, so give me the plus 130 on Dolgarian. Boom. Our parlay to play is the aforementioned round tree at a minus 205. Pair him together with Terrence McKinney at minus 275. It does get you very slight plus money at plus 103. Let's hear it. Yeah, so obviously I like Khalil Roundtree. Um, I mentioned all the reasons I think he's going to be faster, sharper, and is fighting a guy coming off of three straight knockouts. And then for Terrence McKinney, I, I know we're seeing him at a big number here. I know he's taking this on short notice. I know he's let people down in the past. But I do just think like Mike Breeden is not going to have a chance to stop his wrestling. Um, we we know that Terrence McKinney is a guy who comes out like a bat out of hell and might only be good for one round. But really, I think that's all he needs here against Breeden. Breeden doesn't uh, doesn't present a lot of challenges for him. He doesn't present a lot of threats for him, particularly early on. And I think as long as Terrence McKinney goes in there, gets the job done early, this price will look kind of silly. So plus 103 for me here on uh, Terrence McKinney and Khalil Roundtree. 
All right. That does it for Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. We sure hope you enjoyed it. Let us know if we did you right or did you dirty with some of these picks at Top Turtle MMA on the social medias. Gumby, we're having a party here. Let's not let it stop. What should we do next? We're going to transition now to my interview with Isaac Dolgarian, who fights at UFC Vegas 78 this weekend coming up. We're talking about the tough pullouts he had leading up to this fight and finally getting that opportunity to step into the octagon. We're going to get to all that great content for you right now. All right, intro to me today is Isaac Dolgarian, who fights Francis Marshall at UFC Vegas 79. That fight is on August 12th. So, Isaac, I wanted to start here. You were supposed to make your UFC debut all the way back in January. You wound up having to pull out of that fight with an injury. Can can you fill us in a little bit about what took you out of the fight and and maybe what the recovery looked like for you? Yeah, man. So, like, uh, about a week before we were leaving to go to Vegas, um, I wasn't even really training hard. Um, I just was training with Brandon Royval, and just a freak accident happened, man. I was in a position that I'm always in, and uh, I had a full thickness tear in my LCL in two places. And so it took a while, and it took a while to heal. And so basically they told me to take eight weeks off. I took the eight weeks off, came back to training for two weeks, and it tore again. So then I had to take another eight weeks off. So it was just a mess. Uh, but it's all good now. I'm healthy. Uh, I just did all the PT, working it out every day, doing all the movements and stuff they gave me. And, uh, yeah, man, it's healthy and stronger than ever. Well, that's good to hear. Now, I'm curious, you know, because you were five fights into your pro career, a real quick move to the UFC. Was it tough being that close to the the big show and then not getting that, like, you know, the the paycheck that's way bigger than all the regional scene ones you've got? Uh, Yeah, man. I I mean, I definitely need that paycheck, um, especially – you know, I thought I changed my life with my last fight. I thought I was the, the full sin fighter and all this and that, and it, did, it just didn't turn out. So, yeah, I need that paycheck bad. You know, I'm probably the one of the only UFC fighters that lives in an RV now. Uh, I had to move into an RV to come out here to Colorado just because the price of living is so expensive out here. And uh, I wanted to train the Factory X, so that's what that's the move I had to make. And, and so that you decided that was going to be a permanent move. You you decided, you know, leave the Midwest, head out to, to Factory X to get the best training. Was that uh, was that move made when you made it to the UFC? What what sort of was the impetus behind that? Um, you know, just everything that happened back at my old gym at Glory and stuff like that. Um, I needed I needed a place to train with the, the best guys in the world. And Factory X is the closest to home um, for me. Um, Kansas City, Kansas City's my home. I was born around there. I grew up around there, and uh, I want to represent there when I fight. Um, but I had to make this move uh, for, just for my career to move forward and to be the best I can. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I also wanted to ask you about the mental side because you know, obviously, like the paycheck's a big piece of it, but the mental side of being out for as long as you have because it's been a year and a half since you've been in the cage, and if you look at your record, including the amateur fights. You know, you were basically fighting every two months since you were an amateur. Has it been difficult for you to not get a chance to, like, you know, show what's changed in your game over this last year and a half? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard. Uh, It's hard because I feel like a lot of people have forgot about me and what I'm about and stuff. But, you know, uh, sometimes these setbacks and things happen for a reason. And, you know, I've been nothing but getting better, so... We're going to get a good show- showcase in my upcoming fight. And then, uh, you know, I'm just going to keep building from there. I'm still young in the game. I'm still green. 
and I still have a lot of improvements to make, but I am one of the best in the world right now. And, and a lot of people have told me about when they change gyms, they, they feel like, you know, whether the old gym was great or that, you know, the new gym is great or it doesn't necessarily matter, but getting different looks changes things about you, changes things about the way you train or, you know, what you're good at and things like that. Is, is there something that you feel has changed the most since the last time we've saw you all the way back at FAC? So out here in factory, there's, there's so many good strikers out here, the super technical, uh, hard to find strikers. And so that's a good look for me because back home we're a, more of a, a grappling gym. Like we had strikers for sure. Uh, but everybody out here at factory is a striker and they're damn good at it. So it, it's definitely been good for me with my range control and, you know, the setups and feints and everything like that, all the things that make you a high level fighter. Um, I'm getting to see out here on a daily basis. So, uh, that's definitely helped me out a lot in all those areas. I, I can certainly imagine. I got to imagine Brandon Royval, big piece of that. Oh, yeah. Brandon Royval, uh, Yusuf Vilal, um, Chris Gutierrez, um, all those guys. Um, basically, everyone out here, and there's a ton of guys, Marquel Mar- Mar- Maderos, and all these other guys that, haven't, that aren't on the UFC stage yet, but will be very soon. They're all damn good, bro. They're all really good. Well, that's awesome to hear. Now, I wanted to ask you, too, we talked last time, right before your first supposed debut back in January, about how important it was for you to have all of your family at that FAC, you know, Dana White's looking for a fight, getting the contract, that big moment in your life. And now you're going to be making your debut in the Apex. Are you going to be able to have friends, family out there? Are you going to, you know, I know you talked about your your cousin is Elsie Davis, a former WEC fighter. Are you going to be able to squeeze him into your corner? Like, what what do you got coming out? Yeah, yeah, I got Elsie uh, Davis. He's going to be in my corner, uh, as well as Mark Montoya and my girlfriend Alexa Cole. Uh, they'll all be in my corner for this one. Um, I was going to have Yusuf Zawal come, but he's got to fight the next weekend, so he's not going to be able to be there. But um, as far as family and friends, I got a couple of my friends that are able to come out, a couple of sponsors and stuff. You know, tickets to the Apex are super expensive and hard to get. So, uh, yeah, I got a few people coming out, and then hope, I'm hoping that the UFC uh, will grant me at least one ticket for my grandfather because, you know, he's the only reason I get to do this. He's, he's my mom, my dad. My grandpa, my first coach, everything to me. So I'm really hoping he gets he gets to be out there in the crowd as well. Well, we'll make sure we blast that one out. Make sure uh, Dana White and the media gets a, a here. Make sure we get the Dolgarian grandpa out there. So uh, now I, I want to ask too about your, the stylistic matchup of this fight because you were supposed to fight Dan Argetta, you know, a little bit of a wrestler. That was kind of his mo. Francis Marshall came up as a wrestler. He's kind of started to lean on his boxing more. How do you sort of compare the two opponents that you've now had to get ready for for your UFC debut? I mean, honestly, I think this fight's going to be a much tougher fight for me than uh, the Argueta fight. You know, for me, Argueta didn't bring any any real danger in the striking, and he's not a better grappler than me, period. So um, I don't think that – I think this fight's a lot tougher. Um, I know that Francis is a big physical guy, Um and he has wrestling experience, he has jiu-jitsu experience, and he's a boxer. Um, but to me, I feel like I'm just better all around. I feel like I have sharper tools in the stand-up, even though no one's been able to see it yet. Uh, I'm hoping to display that a little bit in this fight. And uh, I think when it comes down to um, the grappling portion, I feel like just my technique, 
uh, is going to is going to lead the lead the dance there. Um, he's a good he's a good grappler, no doubt. Um, all his fights, he gets people down, beats them up, same as me. Uh, but he's just he's more of a power strength guy, and I'm more of a technique uh, guy with power. So. I love that breakdown. So this is usually when I ask the big question: How do you see this one ending? Come August twelfth. You know, I would I would love I would hope to get another first round finish. You know, it's gonna be a tough it's a tough opponent and tough task. Um, but I like to I'd like to be ten and zero with all my fights, amateur and pro, all first round finishes, and see what goes on from there. Um, but if not, we're gonna we're we're probably gonna see a war, um, and we both might end up in the hospital. We'll see. <laughs> I love that prediction. And once again, fans, this has been Isaac Dolgarian, who fights Francis Marshall. That fight is at UFC Vegas 79 on August 12th. Isaac, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Anytime, brother. I appreciate it as well. Thank you. Thank you. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Game Up Hard Hydration and Cut Bet. And we want to remind you guys that you can check us out on social media at Top Turtle MMA on both Twitter and Instagram. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby Vreeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we'll catch you then.